You're listening to The Nerve, an English at WIT podcast. This semester, we're running a one-to-one series where I interview people whose work is important to the arts in Ireland. In this episode, I speak to Tom Moore of Cartoon Saloon, whose film Wolf Walkers has recently been nominated for an Oscar and was also nominated for a Golden Globe. This is not the first such honour for the studio. In 2010, their first feature film, The Secret of Kells, was also nominated for an Academy Award. And the 2015 Song of the Sea was nominated for two Oscars. In 2017, The Breadwinner was nominated for a Golden Globe and Academy Award. In 2019, The Short Late Afternoon won the Best Animated Short at the Tribeca Film Festival and was nominated in the Best Animation short category in the 2019 Oscars. The studio also produces the animated TV series Puff and Rock and Dorg Van Dango, which have a huge reach via traditional television channels and streaming services. Ah, so Tom, I, we barely yeah. have time to talk after that absolute <laughs> litany of achievements. I'm exhausted. We've only really scratched the surface there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just wondering if I can start by, we'll, we'll come back to all the awards actually maybe at the end, but well, I was wondering if I could ask you a little bit about your beginnings, because I read an interview um, where, it, you know, you were talking about meeting Ross, Ross Stewart, um, who co-directs Wolf Walkers, and you met him in St. Kieran's College did, in Kilkenny. Yeah. And so... Was it really important for you at that stage of your life to, to meet somebody who had similar passions to yours? And what did you kind of bring out of one another? That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I knew who Ross was. He was the good artist in the class ahead of me in primary school, but I wasn't friends with him. And then he went to ring um, down in Waterford for the for the, for a year. And he ended up in my class in first year in Kieran's. And I had too many books on the back of my bag, on the back of my bike. And I insisted on being all grown up and cycling to school and not getting a lift or going on the bus. So the books kept falling off my bike the whole way in. So when I arrived, all the seats were taken except for a seat right up at the front. And Ross also being a new boy with this group, all my primary school friends had already kind of huddled together. And I ended up sitting beside Ross and yeah, we bonded over Batman comics and we were trying to outdo each other drawing Batman. And he was always a brilliant artist. I remember we had a, a, a art teacher called um, Mr. Kelleher, Michael Kelleher. And uh, he, one of the first assignments, because this was like 89 or 90, around the time that the first Batman movie came out with Michael Keaton. And he asked us to draw a Batman bike. And I loved Batman at the time. So I went all out on it. But Ross was the one that Mr. Keller held up his Batman motorbike and said, now, look, this is a good. I was like, it's been on ever since, you know. <laughs> so so you, you kind of brought out the best in you. You were kind of competing with each other a little bit. Yeah, a friendly competition from there on in. Yeah. yeah. You're still sore about it, are you? Oh, yeah, I'm still trying to get better. I'm going to do a better Batman bike someday. <laughs> and then you met Paul Young and Nora Toomey at, in Ballyfermot, at the Ballyfermot College. Um, and you co-founded Cartoon Saloon together. So that was a really yeah. bold move. Um, what is it that each of you, like, I, I mean, I suppose, why did you start thinking about that as a, as a career path? And then what do each of you bring to the table? This is good. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, the, the missing link there is Ross and I uh, joined uh, Young Irish Filmmakers here in Kilkenny and we were members of Young Irish Filmmakers. So when I was in Ballyfermot, um, myself and another guy from Kilkenny, Aidan Hart, had had the idea for Secret of Kells, but we were like in college and I had started doing jobs with Paul um, just doing little jobs, uh, like commercial jobs, like for 
CD-ROMs and early internet jobs, you know, back in the 90s. And we needed a name to kind of like um, invoice clients. So we came up with Cartoon Saloon. It was a very silly, lighthearted name. And then it just ended up sticking because what happened was then Nora would help out because she was living just across the street from me on North Circular Road. And so the three of us would often do jobs together, you know. And then when um, Aidan and I were coming back to Kilkenny, uh, for a year originally to work on what was going to be Secret of Kells in Young Irish Filmmakers. Paul came down and a whole gang of us from college came down that I'd been friends with. And for the first few months, Cartoon Saloon continued to be sort of mine and Paul's company. And the main thing everyone was working on was this film we were going to make, which was The Secret of Kells. And it just all coalesced. Like around the time we realised that it was going to take a lot more than a year to get the film made and funded, and it was also going to be hard to survive once the sort of um, Young Irish Filmmakers grant ran out. Cartoon Saloon sort of started to become the focus. And we sort of, what's the word? Um, what's the word? An inconvenient necessity or whatever. A necessary, a necessary evil. We were going to have to start a company if we were going to pay the bills. That's it. Yeah, that's incredible. And yeah. just the, the bit, I suppose, that would, I mean, not, not the one bit, not the single bit, but a lot of what would terrify me about all of that would be, you know, all of the kind of organisational stuff, you know, and the financial stuff, yeah. that kind of thing. I mean, would that have been something that scared you or was that, yeah. were you OK we were, with that side of things? No, no, no. We were all and we were really bad at it for a long time. And early on, we had a false grant that filmmaker, Mike Kelly and filmmakers had organised for us that we managed to, I think we got two years out of it in the end, but it was a really good start because it was like a universal basic income. That's why I believe in universal basic income. We had that anyway, you know, and um, yes, we had to show that we had done some work on the movie, but they were totally open to us saying, well, look, we're better off making a trailer and writing a script and trying to make the whole movie. And they understood and they still, they didn't stop our payment. So we had that. And then, yeah, the rest of it was pretty hard. It was really, really um, basic at the start. And uh, we were kind of continuing college life, I think. So we weren't earning a lot of money, um, but we were kind of used to living like that. And I think it was kind of early 20s naivety, really. Um, and it was it took about five years before we really got the finance together uh, for Secret Accounts, which when I look back on it, it was massively ambitious for a group of guys in their 20s, uh, what we were trying to do. But when that finance came in place and we had to sort of, you know, take on accountants and people to help with that side of things. Yeah. Now, there's something to be said about naivety, isn't there? I mean, you kind yeah. of being naive is probably important if you want to be creative, because otherwise the yeah. weight of it all might just kind of stop you from doing it. You could get paralysed by fear. And I think there's something really positive about that youthful enthusiasm where you just have a go and you feel kind of immortal. I definitely do think there was a part of us that thought we'd do this for a while and then get real jobs and it just kept on going as well. And the other thing was there's this weird thing where I think it was very brave in a way for Nora and Paul and all because they didn't. I had connections here in Kilkenny and I had a young son at the time myself. My wife had had her son in college. So there was another personal side where being in Kilkenny was a little bit safer for me than immigrating and taking a job. So, you know, it wasn't all like it wasn't like I went off to London and set up a company. You know, I was back in my hometown with, you know, friends and family close by. So it wasn't as big a thing as it might sound in a weird way. 
it was still massive, but it just didn't feel so massive. Because also being in actual filmmakers building for the first five years, like after our FOSS grant stopped, we started paying rent and we actually were there up until uh, we began work properly on Secret of Kells and our first series, Kung Fu, and we kind of outgrew the place. But because I spent so much of my teenage years there in Young Irish Filmmakers, it felt a bit like home. It felt a bit natural to be there, you know. But also, I think, you know, it, it, it was probably for other people coming to Kilkenny. It's a nice place to to come to. It wasn't like you were oh, driving yeah. them to the back of beyond. And you're also quite close, aren't you, to Dublin? It's a great benefit. It was perfect. Weirdly, it was perfect. And we were the first generation of Internet people that we could do all our work for. You know, there was a company in California that we did a lot of work for. And a lot of stuff we did, we didn't have to be in a main city. For maybe the first time in Irish animation history, you could actually have a studio outside Dublin you know, and in world animation history, maybe the first time you could have it outside a big place like London or LA, you know, the fact that you could have a studio because of the very start of the internet. Like I really remembered really early on, there was a lot of buzz about broadband, you know, and when that hit and everyone getting ready for broadband, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's a long time ago now. I feel, I feel prehistoric when I think of it, but at the time that was kind of the competitive edge that I think meant we could do it. And yeah, people coming from Dublin, the rent was cheaper in Kilkenny at the time. And there was plenty of times in the first four or five years where I think if we'd been in Dublin or London, we might have folded. But because we were in Kilkenny, we could kind of afford to kind of keep going on beans and toast and enough money for a pint on a Friday and you were all right kind of thing. Whereas I think if you were in a bigger city, you would have had overheads that we couldn't have afforded while we were figuring everything out. Yeah, meant to be, maybe. Um, and can I bring you back to, you, you mentioned something about um, the script there. And we have some students who are doing a creative writing module. Some of them, you know, face it with great trepidation, actually, when they go into it. But um, I was just wondering, you know, how did you, how do you find the whole writing part of it? Like, do the does the story come together in some kind of a collaborative way between you and everybody else? Or is there somebody who is tasked with purely the, the writing of the film? How do you kind of go about it? Writing in animation is really interesting. And for, particularly with the films I direct, I have a fairly clear idea of broad themes. Usually I kind of had the characters in mind and key moments in mind. And I'm quite interested in writing, but I never take on, like we tried to write the script for Secret of Kells originally ourselves. And we ended up working with a French writer who was brilliant, Fabrice Sokowski. And he brought like a lot of years of screenwriting experience to the table. And so that's the way we always work. I mean, we work with Will Collins a lot now. The dog, excuse me. Um, so sorry. No, you're fine. Give it out to the name. They're the best of frenemies. The two dogs bark at each other all day. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So Will Collins then came on and Song in the Sea. And I had the roughest idea of that story in mind. And I sort of worked out the story with Will. And then in all our projects, um, but particularly Wolf Walkers, uh, the storyboard artists will bring a lot of ideas. So you might have an overall script and it might get rewritten in storyboard, you know. Um, and so very often you don't really have a really finished script until after the storyboards are, you know, it's always evolving. And maybe, maybe I think that's why animation movies can be a bit tighter script wise, because they get a few more chances to go through the, like you kind of put it up on reels, you put the storyboards on the screen and you can show it to kids. My wife is a teacher in the girls' school, so like we show it to her long ago. 
And uh, there's a few rangadolas that see it at different points and they can kind of see it in rough black and white form to check it, is it working, before we go into full animation. So the writing process is very iterative and very um, sort of slow. <laughs> Yes, I can imagine. But that's great. I love the, the idea of it going into one of the schools and getting feedback from the kids. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. yeah. The big thing I learned from Fabrice was not to bite off. Like we would sit and go page one, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we, what I learned from Fabrice, which it makes perfect sense now in retrospect, was we'd work on an outline for a long time until like just a two or three page outline was working, you know, and then you'd go to a treatment. And then you go from a treatment to a script. And I always kind of insist on that because it's like a drawing. You start with a sketch and then you refine it. And then only then do you go and take out the paints and try and bring the finishing touches. But if you started painting up in the corner, you wouldn't know what you'd have by the end. So that kind of structure yeah. uh, to the writing process came from working with professional writers like Fabrice and Will. Yeah, yeah, all about preparation, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering as well, just about your, you know, the, the fact that you draw so much on Irish history and Irish folklore um, and, you know, The Secret of Kells was a really like a really interesting movie. You know, my kids, when they were watching that, hadn't they, a lot of the stuff that they were watching was, you know, coming from Disney and very mm. American mm. Um, or about, you know, based in high schools and things like that. Mm. And this was so different. And yeah. yet, they, you know, it, there was, there's no um no problem in, in kids transitioning from totally sure. different types of genres. Yeah. And so they absorb it so easily. And, it, and when I was watching it, I was thinking, I don't I don't remember seeing this before. Um, mm. Do you think that is that is that going to be a defining feature of what you do from, you know, forever? Or is it is it kind of just something that really preoccupies you at the moment? You know, drawing on that for your feature yeah. films. I know you do lots of other varied stuff. Yeah, we do a lot of different stuff. And just me, the films I've directed or co-directed um, have focused a lot on folklore. But I think this an Irish folklore and Irish history. And I sort of very consciously asked Ross when I asked him to co-direct the last one with me, he said, let's do a last hurrah. Like, let's make this like a nice, like we're going to do a little box set, DVD box set. And I know most people don't watch, you watch DVDs anymore, but just for me, it's nostalgic to think the three of them fit together in a box set. And in a way that allows me to use, to do it again or not. I don't feel like it's a continuity anymore. I feel like I've broken the continuity there. So maybe the next film might deal with it or might not, but it allows us to go in other directions. And um, it's been an interesting bit of soul searching because we're still, you know, we want to tell stories that are meaningful, but we don't want to be limited and like only be the, the Irish folklore studio. So like Nora already has made a breadwinner set mm. in Afghanistan. Now she's making a movie set in a kind of, pseudo depression era United States, you know, um, with a lot of fantasy and magic and stuff. But, you know, it's it's changing. I know uh, Louise Bagnell, who was nominated for Late Afternoon, the feature film that she's developing now is set in um, New York, you know. So like it, it, it's not necessarily that that's all we want to do. It just was a preoccupation and a a continuation, like one fed the next, fed the next. And that's how we ended up doing three, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's a rich source as well of fantastic ideas yeah. that maybe haven't been explored before. So, 
Yeah, once you dive into it, I was conscious when my son was growing up that like Celtic Tiger Ireland was racing towards being like a, a little America or something. And I thought it was interesting to capture the stories and retell them for his generation. And then, you know, now I have a little three year old granddaughter and I feel the same. It's nice that I can show her, you know, Song of the Sea or Wolfwalkers. She actually watched Wolfwalkers, even though she's only three. And it's just nice that it's in her cultural, you know, palette of stuff that she can taste and know about and not feel like it's like when I was a kid it was always sort of a little bit cheaper looking if it was made in Ireland a little bit less than in a weird way and it's nice to sort of offer it in a in a full feature animation way you know yeah absolutely um and you know you I suppose you have to wear an awful lot of hats in your job don't you yeah. so you're <laughs> you're wearing a literal hat now but uh, <laughs> you know you're great for the bedhead you know these lockdown mornings you get up and go I'll just stick a hat on yes or for, or for some of us you know it's the hat is covering all the the gray hairs that oh, can't yeah. get covered at the moment <laughs> tell me about it tell me about it yeah so you know you're a director or illustrator storyboarder you know you're dipping into so many different things mm. I mean is this a job for somebody who just thrives in this, thri thrives on multitasking, would you say? My job, yeah, my job would be hard to, to do if you didn't enjoy multitasking. Or, or And I mean, I think I wandered into it and I think myself and Paul and Nora are all lucky that we're good at it, but we're all different. You know, I mean, Nora, I think, has a little bit more of a focused kind of brain. She focuses down uh, pretty much on her project and is able to... Um, do that a little bit better than me and Paul is probably the most up until now the most scattered because he was the producer so he had to think about all the projects at once um but then you know I think he's going to start directing now we're all it's all changing but yeah I love drawing and I do like the days where I get to draw but I do start to crack up if I have I remember I took some time off after Secret of Kells to make a comic for Secret of Kells and I thought oh this will be lovely we were living in Gregna Manor at the time and I didn't have internet and I was sitting at home drawing the comic version of it, which is what I thought I'd always wanted to do my whole life. I started to crack up. I started trying to steal the neighbor's Wi-Fi so I could see what was going on in the studio. Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, you do need to enjoy the, the hustle and bustle of working with people. Yeah, yeah. Total collaborative effort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to just ask you about Wolfwalkers as well, just because there's so much going on in that film. And, you know, I love, we, you know, we've all, all, I've got four kids and, you know, we've all loved um, all of the Cartoon Saloon stuff. But I loved Wolfwalkers for, for a lot of reasons. Um, and there's a lot of themes that are running through alongside the central story in this. And, you know, you could say it's a feminist story or a coming out story or, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and then obviously it's drawing on those fabulous folkloric elements. But do you kind of think at the time, are you just kind of focused on that whole idea of outlining the the story, the way it unfolds and let all that kind of stuff look after itself? Or is it... Yeah. Do you kind of consciously work these things in? Because it's iterative, you start with something and then, yeah, definitely the coming out story totally wandered into that and didn't didn't lean into it, but didn't just acknowledge that one of the editors said that it could be read that way. We went, oh, yeah, I guess it could. You're dealing with mythology, which is so layered. You know, you're dealing with folklore, so layered and different people might intimidate 
um, interpret it in different ways. Um, like I always, like when we did Song of the Sea, I thought the Selkie stories for me were really stories about loss and dealing with grief. But then I've heard other interpretations of Selkie, Selkie stories that they were about unmarried mothers in these villages where they had to, you know. So it's very different. So you can lean into whichever theme you come across and that's about focus and tone. It's about deciding let's focus more on this or the other. So Ross and I had a big card up on the wall that said on one side, um, you know, freedom versus um, caged or, you know, die free or live in a cage. And it is kind of, that was the big, big idea that we felt was what we wanted to speak about with the wolf analogy. And then layered into that was eco ecological themes and ideas of empathy. When Robin became a girl, we started finding more feminist themes were popping up. So, you know, you just decide what you lean into as they come along. I mean, there was like nine drafts of the script. And as I say, about another two and a half drafts were done in the storyboarding phase. So a lot of these themes evolve as you work on it, you know. Yeah, I just think it's one of those things that, that brings you back to a film, though, isn't it? When, when you can yes. see something um, new in it each time. Definitely. The example I would say is E.T. I remember loving E.T. as a kid and being a bit terrified that he, I didn't actually want to meet him, but I loved this story. <laughs> I remember yes. always having nightmares of E.T. being in the cupboard or something, you know? Like, <laughs> All but, dressed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and um, a vivid, vivid memory. I really visual kid, you know, so I vivid memories of imagining the light coming from the shed or something, you know, like in E.T. But I watched that as a kid, totally mesmerised, totally loved it. And I decided at one point when my son was eight or nine, oh, you need to see E.T. It was a big movie for me. And I watched it again and he enjoyed it, of course. And I was watching it going, this is a movie about divorce. This is a movie about a kid who misses his father. You know, this is um, Joseph Campbell Messiah stuff, mono myth going on here. Yeah. Like there's so much more to it than what I'd seen as a kid. And I think those are great family movies that can work on a few levels, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree because we had the exact same experience with E.T. We watched yeah. it and, you know, the, the kids, I mean, they the, you could see them experiencing it the way that I did when I watched yeah. it the first time. But it's just it's lovely when you can go back and enjoy it from a slightly different perspective. Yeah. What I find really interesting as well is tone and structure don't seem like now Pixar and stuff have really mastered it in kids movies. But a lot of the stuff I grew up on, they had a much more powerful tone and a kind of not great structure like my wife and I went to see um we were in body and soul a couple of years ago and there was a tent showing the never-ending story do you remember that yeah yeah and we remember that now to me as a writer director I would have thought the horse dying in the swamps of sadness was like mid-act climax at least act two or the crossover between act two to act three it happens near the start and that's the thing I remembered since I was like seven years old or whatever yeah. when I saw it and then we were watching going what the horse is already dead we thought that was like the the moment of the movie so structurally I think they they, they lost the, the momentum emotionally but somehow overall that movie had such a lovely tone that it was remembered so fondly and you could kind of go back into it but I would definitely have like a horse dying it's huge you know <laughs> <laughs> the movie would be sweet. like my children won't watch that movie because they know there's a horse that dies. Oh, it's too sad. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just, no, a, that's not happening. <laughs> isn't there a book called Save the Cat about writing where you have to sort of if you want to show that your hero is the good guy, he has to save a cat. <laughs> yes. Or, or if you have like a protagonist that kicks a dog, then, you know, oh, yeah. like at the very so beginning of the movie, you know, you have to keep an eye out for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us, I know you've got exciting plans coming up. Tell, tell us what's on the cards for cartoons 
saloon over the next, well, probably a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. And we have a busy slate for the next five years or so. Um, I'm in a funny place now where I was supposed to be on sabbatical. So I was going to be away just focusing on drawing and stuff for a while. Um, but because of the, the COVID, I've ended up um, kind of, and I'm happy to have done it. I've ended up spending a lot of time uh, kind of like the connective tissue between the projects because everyone's at home. And we used to kind of meet each other in the corridor and at lunchtime and stuff. And now there isn't all that. And it would be very easy for all the projects we're doing now to end up being little silos, you know. So I'm trying to connect them up. And like Nora's making a big feature, the biggest we've ever done for Netflix, big budget and very starry cast. And it's called My Father's Dragon. I think it's going to be really lovely. So far, everything I've seen is amazing. And then we're doing a big... Um, kind of even more epic in a way, a series for Apple, which is like a two season series and that's been directed by Morris Joyce, who's like a real old hand of Irish animation. He directed Puff and Rock, but before that he was on like the Teenage Turtles and stuff even I grew up on. So it's great to have Morris in the company. And then alongside that, we have a feature film of Puff and Rock, which is in production. And um, that's been directed by Jeremy Purcell, who's a big part of the studio. I, I met him in college too. Um, and there's more stuff. There's stuff kind of like Viking School for Disney Channel is winding up and then other shows are just starting. So, yeah, it's busy time. Wow. That's an incredible thing to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's just huge, isn't it? It's yeah, vast. Yeah. I feel very um, lucky as well, though, because it, we've grown and expanded during COVID, which I think is the opposite experience of so many businesses. So I feel like we're very blessed. Yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible slate of stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, and can I just ask you as well, so next up on, on the horizon, I suppose, very soon is the Oscars. Oh, yeah. um, and it's, there's been a lot of chat about what way it's going to play out this year. Yeah. You know, this whole thing of that it's going to be an in-person kind of event. Um, and I think yeah. I just saw this morning, was it, that there is a slight change to that plan or they're, they're kind of thinking about opening it back up um, to Zoom attendees if you like yeah. i mean what's what's going to happen for you guys we don't know i have a meeting now i think it's the call after the call after this call i have a <laughs> meeting with the academy and um they're going to tell us whether how much they've changed their mind or if they've changed their mind at all we had a bit of a, a scramble to see could we go but we just couldn't in good conscience go like in the, the time that we're living through and for me it was a bit of a relief i've been before and it's a bit of a palava without a worldwide pandemic to wonder about but uh, worry about but like ross is uh, his first time nominated as a director i would have liked for him to have gotten just to experience it you know and it's always a bit of crack it's always nice and there's a lot of business gets done around it as well like a lot of the a lot of the next next projects, like I remember we were over for Breadwinner and that's when Wolfwalker sold to Apple, you know, because you're in town and you're kind of hot and exciting and you you haven't lost the Oscar yet. So you're still <laughs> exciting. <you know? laughs> oh, well, it wouldn't it be amazing. I mean, I, I know you're up against probably, you know, a very it does huge feel, It does feel more and more like it's Pixar's party and we all just get to fill out the numbers, you know. But, I know. Um, you think they might take it? Yeah. Taking your take change, yeah. My with um, Secret of Kells, it definitely was a win just to be nominated, and uh, it really put us on the map and kind of kept us going when we thought we might have closed up shop. But this time, I think with Apple, we're giving them a run for their money. Whether yeah. or not we'll make it all the way, I don't know. But they're definitely. I mean, it's amazing some of the 
like, I mean, for a small studio, like I described to you, set up by a bunch of friends in a small city in the centre of, of Ireland, which is a small country, and then you see your stuff up and painted on the side of a skyscraper or whatever, like, it's mental, you know, and I, I just think it's amazing, you know. It's phenomenal. And it's so brilliant as well to be able to appreciate it and really enjoy yes. that. It's so oh, yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, it? you have to, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, that is absolutely brilliant. I, I have one more little ask before I let you go, because what I'm aiming to do just to wrap up our episodes um, this semester is to do kind of a, a quick fire round, Tom. Uh, <laughs> just nice brief answers you can just yes. answer before you think even. Okay. <laughs> that might get you in trouble. Um, OK, so you might have already answered this one, I think. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Oh, right. Yeah. Cartoonist, animator. OK. And the best thing about your job is? Uh, always being inspired by the people I work with. How would you describe the feeling of starting a new project? Terrifying and exciting. <laughs> uh, when you're illustrating or animating, what constitutes a good day? Oh, um, um, oh, that's hard. I think um, when you're excited to get up the next morning, keep going. And you don't feel defeated at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, what is the main thing that motivates you? Uh, the fear of um, public shame. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. Uh, this might be the same answer for the next question. What keeps you awake at night? <laughs> <laughs> same answer. Um, whose reviews mean the most to you, family and friends or critics? Uh, can I just dodge that and say children, like children I don't know, because they're really honest, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Um, and finally, then, what would be the phrase that best sums up your approach to life? Oh, what would be the phrase that best um, sums up my approach to life? Um, cautiously adventurous. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much because I, I know how incredibly busy you are at the moment. So I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to me and to talk to our students um, and oh, inspire yeah. us all. And we oh, are good. just rooting for you so much at the Oscars. Oh. It's so exciting. Um, oh, so thanks, thanks a million, million, Tom. Oh, Gurmila, slime.